Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Amen. I think that helps us all just to uh, sort of align, but we are busy with a series called The Resting Place. Again, we're really looking at what does that mean. Um, and I think last week what I titled the message was The Rest of Faith. Amen. And some people think it's the rest. It's like, I'm saved, now, now faith comes. But the rest of faith really is to be at rest because you're saved. To be at rest because you are where God is. Amen. In, um, in the Old Testament, Moses says, Lord, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. So he understood something about it. And then what happens there is God says to him, he says, I'll go with you, my presence will go with you, and you will find rest. So what that gives me then is an understanding that where, where the presence of God is, there is rest. Amen? And then we debunked a little bit Matthew eleven twenty eight, which is a, a very famous verse. And the message translation made it even more famous by saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that is very true. But technically, you can only do that once. Because God is preaching that, Jesus is preaching that before the cross. And in context, then, what is the context? The context is religion. Because he says that, Come unto me, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. If we just page on in the same book, Matthew 23, from verse 1, it says, Then Jesus addressed both the crowds and his disciples and said, Interesting, who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking about the Pharisees. Amen? He's not speaking to them. He says, The religious scholars and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat and as the authorized interpreters of the law. So listen and follow what they teach, but don't do what they do. So Jesus is giving us an insight here on how to deal with, with religious people. <laughs> then do what they do. For they tell you one thing and do another. Then they tie on your backs. This is the key, verse 4. They tie on your backs an oppressive burden of religious obligations. New King James says they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. So if Jesus then says, come to me, everyone who's heavy laden, who labors, he's referring to these religious obligations. He's saying that they're two heavy things and they bind them, which is hard to bear on men's shoulders. Have you seen someone trying to impress God? Tired. Have you seen someone who knows that God is impressed with them? You can look at me. Amen. <laughs> I know God loves me. Amen. I said last week, if you don't believe Christ is in me, I don't know why you're here. Okay. Then don't come. But um, I know Christ is in me. He's the hope of glory. Amen. So verse 4 there says it so clearly. It says, but you will never, they will never even lift a finger to help you ease the load. So what the religious system did, it really added on the burden. They said, yeah, we, you, you're not allowed to carry 10 meters, so don't carry 12, because maybe then you overstep or you, 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 you're not calibrated on that day. So they just added and added and added and added. And then he says in verse 5, Everything they do is done for show and to be noticed by others. They want to be seen as holy, so they wear oversized prayer boxes on their arms and foreheads with scriptures inside and wear extra long tassels on their outer garments. I'm so sad that this speaks of many churches still. Moving on swiftly. Verse 6 says, They crave the seats of highest honor, and bank at banquets and their meeting places. Now, every week I say, guys, please come sit in the front. <laughs> so some of you are not interpreting this, um, or you're interpreting it, over-interpreting it, but it's just because it's easier for logistics, amen, if we fall from the front. Then verse 7 says, And how they love to be admired by men with their titles of respect, aspiring to be recognized in public, and have others call them reverend, or rabbi, or teacher, or master. So really, Jesus says, don't call anyone that, because there's only one, and it's him. So you can see that in context then of the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, it is not when you are tired after getting saved, it is when you're tired because you're not saved. So now that you are saved, you've come to God, so now the only thing is that we need to do is we need to renew our minds of where we are. We need to re renew our minds of, of, of where we are. I want to throw in a verse here from uh, Isaiah 11. <coughs> Isaiah 11. That's why you need to pray for the people at the back, because they prepare and then we change. Isaiah 11 and verse 10 says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest, or resting place, shall be glorious. 
His resting place shall be glorious. So this is a prophecy, obviously, of Jesus, the root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, who will stand as a banner. It's a military banner of victory. It's a sign, an ensign. This is, this is where the victory is at. This is where, um, this is where God is at. The Gentiles will seek him, not just the Israelites, amen? I'm so glad because I'm not a Jew. And I've seeked God and I've found him, amen? And his resting place will be glorious. Where and who, what is the resting place of God? It's you, believer. So where does God abide? The Spirit abides. How did Jesus know, or how did John the Baptist know this is the Christ? He says, you'll see the Spirit come down and stay. Abide on him. So abide really is an amazing word that I keep on meditating on because it is, it is where you are. It is in time and place. Milieu is this, uh, sort of an Afrikaans word for, for it. But it's also in your mind. Amen? So the Holy Spirit is in me. He's in me right now. So it's the where and it's the when. But He's not wanting to go anywhere. He's there, like, you know when you, when you go camping and you back the trailer and you put in the tent and you take the big drive and you pay the toll fees and you stand in the queue and, and you arrive and you get your number and you, you, you set up camp, okay? Somewhere you go and you light the fire and you go sit. And like... I'm not going anywhere for however long you're going to be there. Amen? You don't even want to make food. You just want to... You're just so in the moment. That's exactly how the Holy Spirit feels with you. The work is done. I have found what I've been looking for. My resting place is glorious. Amen? I don't want to go anywhere. He is at rest in the believer. You are the temple of God. Amen. God doesn't need to leave the temple. God has found the temple. God is at rest in the temple. So, you see that we need to be a little bit different than religious people. Now, I need to quantify that. What is a religious person? Some people will say, I'm religious because I'm at church every week. What I mean is, it's not because of things I need to do to impress God. There's no traditions, there's no obligations, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that I can do that can make God like and love me more. Even if I do all of them, He says, I don't know why. I'm already loving you as much as I can. I'm already giving you everything I can. I've already filled you with all of who I am. Colossians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, Everything that is in the Godhead is in Christ. Amen? Colossians 1.27 says what? Where's Christ? Christ is in you. So if everything is in Christ and Christ is in you, what more can you get? So that's why we had to debunk Hebrews 4 last week. And say that there is no rest to come. It's not the rest of faith. It is the rest of faith. And you need to listen to the message online um, to, to just get that. Because I know that I've listened to it again. And it's, it's pretty refreshing. But I'm sure it's challenging as well. So I want to speak today a little bit about being at rest in your identity. Being at rest in your purpose. Being at rest in your calling. Because even like um, Ruan said, even after he was saved, he had this unsettledness. Now we know in Ecclesiastes, the, 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 um, the writer there, Solomon, he even says that there is eternity in the hearts of men. There, there is eternity in the hearts of men. It means there's a longing, there's a thirst if you will. It's just one way to explain it. It's not like your heart has got lips that needs to drink water. It's, not, it's, a, it's a longing for something of eternal value. Anyone with me? Like, you know when you say, I found what I've been looking for? It's the eternal truth, wasn't it? It's an eternal state of you are right with God. And nothing that you can do can change that. What does that bring? Rest. Rest in peace. I've got, I don't have life figured out. I don't have, I don't have church figured out. I don't have the Bible figured out. But I've got eternity figured out. I'm going to spend eternity with God. Amen. And God is happy to spend His eternity with me. 
I'm at rest in that. We can figure out the rest. We can, we can dabble over doctrine. We can decide what translation of the Bible is correct. We can go about all those things, but we do that from a place of acceptance, a place of rest. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now Hebrews 4 starts off and says you must fear. But God didn't give us a spirit of fear. So you see, there's something there that we need to study out. And I want you to just say, if anyone in here, answer for yourself, close your eyes for a moment, and listen to the question. And I'm asking you, is there in any way a little hint of doubt in your heart that God is pleased with you 100%? Is there any, I mean, this is not a condemning question. If the answer is yes, you came to the right place. Is there a hint that I didn't do this or I shouldn't have done that or, or anything? And I, I mean, you can open your eyes. I, I struggle with it sometimes. Because we are all brought up in performance. So, when I don't sleep a lot, I'm not always the friendliest person around. Amen? So, I had one of the most, le- was it most, most awake, least sleep nights on Friday night. And what upset me, and I said myself really, is that I had to do a wedding yesterday morning at quarter past nine in the Yimmel and Arda Falay on the other side of Kalidon. So you need some rest, amen, like you think you do. And I wasn't the friendliest chap, and you can ask my wife and family, and I'm driving there and I'm like, Lord, now I need to go and marry people. Amen. <laughs> But I didn't, I didn't deserve you to show up because I didn't, I didn't abide in, in the peace. <laughs> I wasn't as spiritual as I could have been. I promise you, I said to my wife, yesterday when I did that wedding, apart from my own, it was the most supernatural spiritual wedding that I've, that I've done in a long time. I mean, they prayed for, for some sunshine Nine o'clock, the sun just pops out. The wedding would have been outside on the lawn. They had to bring it into a small room. So the, the bride and her mom couldn't even walk next to each other because the aisle was so narrow. So the mom walked in, waited for her, and then she came. That, that sort of... But it was this glass. And, 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 and as she walked in, the sun was like a spotlight on the two of them. It was... It was insane. And, and what I didn't realize is I prepared a message the night before, before I thought I was going to bed. <laughs> and I actually felt God lead me to something new. I, need, I mean, a marriage message is, can't always be 100% new because there's only so much that you can do with it. But I've never preached on Isaac and Rebecca. And really the spirit there is, is, is personified by the, um, the servant of Abraham. And he says, I'm going to go out and find a wife. How would I know? And he speaks of good speed. Not God's speed, but good speed. In, in Gen- you can check it out. It's Genesis 24. And if you look at the Hebrew of that word, good speed, it is success. But it also means enlightenment and establishment. Okay, so if you give me good speed, you give me success, enlightenment and establishment. Now, just take that. I had no clue of what the venue setup is really, what the timing of the sun is going to be. As the bride walks in, there's this light of sun, enlightenment, that shines on the couple. While we are establishing the covenant of marriage, and it was a massive success. After the message, people are like, did you see the rainbow? I'm like, no. Everyone is like, did you see the rainbow? You know what? I'm the only one who did not see the rainbow. You know why? Because God positioned it perfectly right behind my back. So while everyone was looking at me and the couple, God was showing off behind. What I didn't know is that the groom told me afterwards, he says he was still at school when he had a vision of his wedding day. And he did not see the face of his bride, but he knew that she was dark-haired. And as she walked down, he just saw this light shining on her. Remember where I started the story? I said I didn't deserve for God to show up. I wasn't fully prayed up in the spirit. I wasn't 
like Mr. Super Goody Two Shoes, holy. But God, I'm at rest that even in my worst day, God can make it a good day. Even my worst day, God can make it the best day. Amen? Why? Because it's not about me. What I did is I showed up. And you know what I took there? The gospel. Because if you take the story of Isaac and Rebekah, what happens there? The father of many nations wants to find a bride for his groom, his only begotten son. The seed, the promise. So he sends out the helper, the Holy Spirit, to a foreign country to bring a wife acceptable unto the beloved son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then who do we know? How do we know who is the bride? How do, you, how do you personify? How do you identify? How do you enlighten and establish who is the bride? Now, it says, he makes this deal, if you will, with God. He says, the one who's going to offer water to me and my camels. I almost said donkeys, but I think camels drink more. He takes ten camels with him. And what I never realized is he doesn't ask for her to water the camels, and then the one who says, yes, that's the bride. No, she offers. She offers, and she does it gladly. She does, I mean, that's a generous offer. Um, we, Gary must work out for us how much water does a camel drink, and then we times that by ten. Um, then you can let us know. But it's a generous offer, and she does it graciously. She does it generously. Now, I don't know about you, but Isaiah 12 then speaks of us, just after Isaiah 11, which we just read, and says that we will with joy draw from the wells of salvation. Who? The bride of the only begotten Son. So you see how the whole gospel is right there in Genesis 24. I said it last week, I'll say it again. If you come to this church often, we only have one message. (laughs) Because we believe the Bible only has one message, which is the gospel, which is the good news of Christ. Amen? So... What do we need to do to impress God? We need to believe. And then that's it. (laughs) Then we abide in the rest. 75 liters per camel. 750 liters. Okay, that's more than the wine Jesus made. (laughs) And he didn't even have to draw it. Amen? There was many servants. So 750 liters of water. Because they came from a far country. It's amazing. You know what? I'll give you a little bit more. So, Rebecca leaves where she came from. Her old nature. To go to the promised land. So, when you get saved, you don't have to go back to where you came from. The Holy Spirit is taking you somewhere. And you become one with the Son. And the word even at the end of Genesis 24 speaks of comfort. It says there's comfort in covenant. Amen? So we can speak of peace, we can speak of rest, we can speak of comfort. It's all the same things that the Holy Spirit is bringing to us, which the unbeliever doesn't have. But I'm asking you, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, like, are you experiencing it? The question is not whether you have it. Because if you have the completeness, then the answer is yes, you have it, but now do you use it? Lucia Nicholas, can I pray for you? Yeah, would you just come forward? You can just stand here. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this couple. Lord, thank you for, for your peace. I just feel like God saying, you're expecting peace to come down from above, but it's already came down. It's going to rise up from the bottom. I see like the tide coming in, the, 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 the waters of rest is just rising up. It's from the inside of you. God is stirring it up. God knows what you've been through, what you're going through, what you're worried about. And He says, be at rest. You are not alone. Where my presence is, there is fullness of rest. If you think about the Israelites in the promised land or in the wilderness, the circumstances didn't depend on their state of rest. Because in the middle of the sun, there was a cloud. In the middle of the night, there was a, 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 a heater. Amen. When there was only a rock, he brought water. So we don't look to circumstances to depend on peace or to determine the level of our peace. We look to God. 
says in the wilderness, their feet, they, they didn't even wear out their sandals. And when you feel you can no longer, you can't go further, God says, but I can. Just abide in me and you will bear much fruit. I see how God is um, sort of closing uh, torn garments and he's, he's, he's working it with a needle and he's closing those holes even of your past. He's bringing warmth. Where the cold wind is still penetrating, he's closing the gaps. Amen? And he's patching it with, with new garments. Thank you, Father, that even the generation that they are raising is going to be world changers, Father. But as they take, I just see you are like, the, you're bringing them like camels through the water. But let God do the work. God's going to do a great work. I see like, what you're busy with is not easy. It's on a mountain. And I just feel God said, I gave you the right tools, the right gear, like the right equipment, animals even, to go through this. Like he didn't give you a cat when you needed a camel. He gave you the camel to carry the load. And I just feel like that as well. God said, put the, put the weight on the camel. Don't carry it yourself. Let the Holy Spirit be the helper. Be the one who carries the burden. We just read that Jesus didn't put a burden on us. So even the, the, the person that you're carrying in your heart, I just feel God say, like, take that burden and give it to me. Still pray, still trust, still believe. But give me the worry. So you can do the prayer. I mean, you can go up a mountain and carry a heavy load, or you can just walk next to the camel, and the heavy load is still going to go with you. And that's what's God in, in, in invitation to you this morning. Amen. 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 So. Second time the Holy Spirit said to me, pray. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to forget again. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. We're going to Colossians. Colossians 2. Colossians 2 is really, um, I think Paul said to me a year ago, like, are we going to spend the rest of the year in Colossians 2? So we spend a lot of time on it. There's a series at the back called Complete, um, if you want to get into it on that level. But we're jumping in after that. We're jumping in at verse 16. And it says, so why do you allow anyone to judge you because of what you eat or drink? Or insist that you keep the feasts or observe new moon celebrations or the Sabbath. So he's asking, why do people judge us based on what we do? Now, we just said in Matthew 23 that Jesus said, don't let anyone put a burden on you. Now he's taking it in um, a New Testament, New Covenant, uh, Covenant reality. Verse 17, all of these were but a prophetic shadow and the evidence of what would have been fulfilled. For the body or the substance is now Christ. Um, believer, you don't know how far this goes. This is so, so, so powerful. Everything that was a type and a shadow in the Old Testament was only a type and a shadow. But the substance has arrived. So when you see my shadow around the corner, don't worship the shadow. When you see Jesus coming, the shadow of Jesus is not what we worship, we wor because that only shows that He's coming. Think about these movies where the guy's behind the wall and then he sees a shadow. What does it show you? Someone is coming. And that's what the Old Testament really is all about. It is telling us that someone is coming. But now that he's come, the substance is there. So what do you do? You forget about the, the shadow. Think about a loved one. You haven't seen them in a long time. You're waiting for them. You see their shadow. Now you see them. Are you going to kiss the shadow? Lie there on the floor. No, you're going to embrace the substance, the person. You're not going to worship the shadow. That which points to Christ is not what we worship. We worship Christ who's come. So he's saying, don't let anyone judge you in these things, because you are not about these things. Verse 17, in the New Living Translation says, For these rules are only shadows of the reality that was yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Verse 18 says, Let no one beguile you, defraud you, or cheat you of your reward. He's speaking to New Testament believers, spiritual people. He's speaking to complete new creations. But let people not cheat you, defraud you, and beguile you. How? Verse 19, they refuse to take hold of the true source. And that's the title of my message, amen? The true source. What is your source? The true source is Christ. But we receive directly from Him. 
And His life supplies vitality into every part of His body through the joining ligaments connecting us all as one. He is the divine head who guides His body and causes it to grow by the supernatural power of God. We had an amazing pre-service prayer meeting today. And I really saw like the Holy Spirit dancing and whispering into different people's ears, different parts of the story. And we just weaved it all together. And you were there, you can testify to that. That God didn't give what He wanted to do to one person. And even when I stand there prepared, I'm still, Holy Spirit, either confirm or redirect what I felt. So I submit that to the Spirit and then the Spirit is in us. Okay? Verse 20 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves also to regulations? Have you died with Christ? If the answer is yes, then all things have to become new. Not some things. All things. The King James there, where we speak of regulations, says ordinances. You can decide what is an ordinance. The Bible tells us in verse 21, Touch not, taste not, handle not. So it's all rules. Don't do that. Don't preach on that day. Don't work on that day. Why do you walk on the beach on a Sunday? Some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. He says, that's ordinances. That's basic stuff. Don't let that boggle you down. The voice translation, verse 22, says, But everything they are obsessed about will eventually decay with use. According to the commandments... Or, uh, yeah, and the doctrines of men. These rules are just human commands and teachings. Verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no, say no, no, no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, I picked a, a standard translation so that you can read for yourself. The Passion says, For though they may appear to possess the promise of wisdom in their submission to God through the deprivation of their physical bodies, it is actually nothing more than an empty rule rooted in religious rituals. So what I really wanted to get to was Colossians 3. But I've been teaching you to take a run-up. <laughs> So we need to take a run-up into Colossians 3 because the Holy Spirit did not put the chapters in the Bible. We did. Okay? So we need to, to come from this place. And now we go into Colossians 3 verse 1. It says, If you be risen with Christ, think, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. So he's saying nothing that we do on the earth can really impress God. So now why do we think of things on the earth? Now we need to put our minds where? He is. The high things there is the spiritual things. The Passion says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we were to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of power, honor, and authority. Where is Jesus? He's at the place on high. He's on the right hand of the Father. Okay? Colossians 1 says that He's somewhere else. He's in you. Okay, so how can He be in heaven and in you? Because heaven is not a planet. <laughs> heaven is not somewhere we're going. Heaven is where God is. Where is God at rest? Do you think we're going to rest in heaven? We tell people, we write on their tombstones, rest in peace. Why don't we live in peace? Amen. Because we're already dead to our old selves. So that now I've been crucified with Christ. Now the life I now live, I don't live by myself, but I live by the life of, and the faith, basically, if you have the right translation, of the Son of God. Why? Because He loved me and then gave Himself for me. I don't read what I did in that verse. The only work is to believe. But you need to hear the gospel so that there's something good to believe in. Amen? I'm really keeping it in. You don't know what, how I'm jumping on the inside. I told my wife, I'm preaching the gospel this morning. It's going, to be, it's going to be fun. Verse 2 says, Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm 
and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Why? For verse 3 says, For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You see, we, we still have a separation mentality. We don't see God in us. We don't see Christ in us. We think He's there. Follow me as I follow Christ. The word is bad translated there. It says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because fellowship means, I'm following Jock, so God is not, I'm following God the same way. Jock is not in me, that's why I need to follow after. But if God is in me, I cannot follow Him. I can only follow His leading. I can only follow His Example. So the word better translated there is imitate as a son imitates the father. And sometimes when Jordan imitates me, I'm like, I should change. <laughs> I don't uh, I want to, do I sound like that? I sound like that. I do. I know. <laughs> Why? Because you are dead. The best news I can give you. You're going to say rest in peace when you're dead? Some Paul and I joke, we said we'll, we'll sleep when we're dead. Amen. But we can rest already. (laughs) Because rest is not sleep. Your body needs sleep, your spirit doesn't. Where is God? Where is Christ? Christ is in God, and Christ is in you, and Christ is in heaven. So where are you? You see, we're looking for God in all the wrong places. The Old Testament says you'll hear a voice behind you saying this is the walk you're in. It. Don't go by that verse because he's not going to speak behind you. That will be a different voice. Because he's now in you. Amen. If you hear a voice behind you, it's not God. <laughs> <laughs> if he is here, then someone else is here. <laughs> and we have this picture of the two, the, the angel and the devil. And you realize how we've elevated God to that level. But the picture we have is an angel. But in our minds, we think it's, it's God. It's only your flesh that brings sin. But that's a different teaching. Verse 3, the Passion says, For your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ Himself is seen for who He really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For you are now one with Him in His glory. Verse 4. Then you will appear with Him where? In glory. Isaiah 11 said His resting place is? Glorious. That's how you rightly divide and interpret the Word. I'm only giving you Scripture. But I'm, I'm showing you from the old and the new, from the unfulfilled covenant, the promise to the fulfilled substance. Now the epistles is where the mystery is revealed. Now we read, we read from Colossians, but we need to look back in the roots. And the roots goes all the way back to Genesis. Paul didn't come up with new things. One of the big problems Muslims have with us is that they say you believe Paul, not God. Because he came up with new things that's easy. Ever had that conversation somewhere with a Muslim? I've had it with the Sangoma as well. He said, I only believe the Old Testament because the New Testament is too easy. You don't understand, sir. The New Testament is only revealing what was promised. It is enlisted in the Old. You cannot split the Bible. Okay, so Colossians 3, you can interpret it very wrong. <laughs> okay. So that's why we had to say we're complete in Christ, we're taking a run-up, and now he's going to tell us basically, you're going to live, he says live more holy. Do, do, do fewer wrong things. Okay, Not to become complete, not to impress God, no, because your new nature is in God, is with Christ, is holy. So now he says, stop living like you used to, but start living as you are. So when we are at rest in who we are, we're not trying to do the right things to impress God. Remember, we, are, we have impressed God when we have received Christ. So now I just live from that state. And I can testify that I stopped doing many wrong things after this revelation. I'm not trying to do right to show God that I love Him. I know that I am loved of God. 1 John 4 says, this is love, not that you love God. Whew. Thank you. Love has to be more than that. No, that He loved you first. When I preach at a wedding, I'm like, don't worry guys, you can't do this. It's impossible. But God. <laughs> but God. I don't know if an unbeliever can get married. Like, true to this, I don't think you can. Like, you can sign a contract. 
but how do you do sacrificial love without the one who supplies it? How can you give what you don't have? And then the marriage covenant is actually only for one reason, and that is to portray the gospel. Ephesians 5 says, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm giving a few tips, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So when we read marriage in Isaac and in Rebecca, then we need to find Christ in the church. Because that's the purpose of marriage. Amen? Verse 5, Colossians 3. Live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one who has died to the desires for forbidden things, including the desire for wealth, which is, is the essence of idol worship. Moving along swiftly, unless it becomes awkward. No? Verse 7 says, that's how you once behaved. Amen. It's true for me. Characterized by your evil deeds. But now it's time to eliminate them from your lives once and for all. Anger, fits of rage, all forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech. Verse 9. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Stop lying because you're not a liar. You're no longer as you used to be, so don't live like that. But there's a renewal of the mind that needs to take place because now you need to trust God. Lying makes you tired. You need to remember what you said to whom and how you inflated what. And it makes you tired, amen? What is the last time that I spoke to this person? Where did I fill the story in? And like, because otherwise you're just caught out. <laughs> but now he says stop lying. Why? Because you're not a liar. Live as who you are. See yourself complete in Christ. And now live like that. Did Jesus lie? No. Why? Because he was the son of God. Now Romans 8.28 onwards, 32 I think says that he is the firstborn of many brethren. Who's that? I'm in. <laughs> I'm born of God. So I'm not a liar. So now I can do what Jesus did, which we know is turn water into wine in Stellenbosch, but the rest is, <laughs> is also there. And one of the things Jesus did is he didn't lie. You know what Jesus also did? He pulled all nighters in prayer. You know what Jesus also did? He slept in the storm. I believe it's because he prayed all night that he was able to sleep in the storm. So are you at, at, asleep in the storm? Are you at rest? Because it's really not about the circumstance. It's about your identity. Where are we? Lie not to one another. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is so, so key. So you're not renewed in stature. You're not renewed in species. This is a continuous thing. So you are renewed when you receive the knowledge of Christ. You are born from above, born again. Now you can become a new creation. But now you need to renew your mind in the knowledge of the truth and start living as you are, not like you were. And that's what some people call the journey of sanctification. Of heiligmaken. No, it's not that, guys. It cannot be. It looks like it. It looks like it. My Lisa said, look, amen. If she looks at your life... <laughs> Say with me. Like, I see, now that I start to live out more who I am, and less of who I was. But I'm not becoming more, I'm just living out more. You see, the word says we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. We need to understand that, because it's only the spiritual part that brings life. Spirit, soul, and body is actually speaking to believers, remember? Unbelievers don't have a spirit. They have a soul. Different teaching, different day. Now you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. So where's your soul? It's your mindset, your emotions, your intellect. That is what gets tired as well. So what happened when I didn't sleep on, on Friday night? My body got tired, then my mind stabbed it wondering, that's going to be a long day, it's going to be a bad day, it's going to be a tough day, when am I going to rest? There's not going to be any rest. The spirit was fine. But because I was tired, I was thinking more of the natural state than the supernatural state. It didn't change the spiritual. The spirit was happy. The spirit is willing. The flesh is with the challenges. Even for Jesus. Even for Jesus. You're not alone. 
The word says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He, he stood there and he said, God, I don't want to die. <laughs> who, who, who does? I mean, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to suffer. It's, 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 I mean, it's probably the worst punishment and pain that anyone can inflict on anyone in, for, for as long as we've been around. I said, yet not my will, but yours. Why? Because he had a spirit and he had a renewed mind. And he had an eternal perspective for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is that the joy? Because you are seated in him. It's not for him to be addressed next to the Father. That's where he came from. But it's now that he calmed down, now he's taken us with him. Because Ephesians 2.6 says that you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Why? Because of the cross. Not because of religious ordinances and obligations or regulations or deprivations or whatever Asians you want to add there. <laughs> you have put on the old, man, the old man and have now put on the new. We don't lie any longer because we want to impress God. No, but because we realize that we are no longer are liars. We are new creations. We have new nature. We've been forgiven. Colossians 3 and verse 10, the Passion says, For you have a quiet new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. You need to be careful with that translation, because it takes it that you are now being renewed. Where in the King James we saw that the renewal is only in the knowledge. You cannot get born again, 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 and a little bit. And Now you're born again, now you renew your mind. New creations, whenever we read that, I go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, overwhelmed by Him, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. So I'm giving you some homework here this morning. Go and think how you were and what you did, even in a religious mindset, or in a, in, in some of us grew up in church before we got saved. And then what of that did we bring with us on the other side to when we were born again? Because it says all things, not some things, has to be renewed. Now we're not saying all that we did was wrong. I'm just saying this verse gives me instruction to go at least test all things and to see which is new and which is old. Verse 18 gets better. And God has made all things new. Behold, God's doing a new thing on the 1st of January. No, this is past tense. He's done it. Amen. God's not doing anything new. And reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. That's the ministry. There's no other ministry. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Eternal burn is not the message, people. You are forgiven. Receive it. Be accepted. Come into the household of the Father. That is the message. But I want to clean up first. Don't. Throw off the old garment. Let me give you a new one. Like the prodigal son. I want to be a servant to God. No, be a son. Yeah, but I messed it up. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but I squandered everything. Doesn't matter. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Clothe him. Kill the calf. Have a party. Why? Because the son is here. The son has returned. The son is alive. And then the older brother mindset. Religion. But I've worked for God. And I've worked for the Father. And I've served you, God. Like, we know those people. Who's at the party? Who's on the dance floor? Well, the father is. He has to leave the celebration to go and speak to the Pharisee, the older brother. You know what's grace? He does. He does. He's not saying, oh, you don't get it, like, we're having fun. Nah. He's still a son. Even though he has the wrong mindset and knowledge of the Father. And what is the Father's heart? That all be saved 
and come to the knowledge of the truth. So even though the older brother was a son, he hadn't had the knowledge of unconditional acceptance and love. And he actually missed out on a relationship, not just with his father, but with his brother. So if we have the wrong mindset and view of what is true Christianity, we're missing out big time, not just in how we relate to God, but to each other. You can read and listen to something that you don't agree with and get something out of it. Or you can just dish it and say, this is not what I believe. Which do you think is richer? But you need to be at rest in who you are. You need to be at rest in what you believe in your doctrine. Then you can spit out the bones, but you can chew on the meat. We cannot have an us and them mentality. The younger brother didn't, the older brother did. I did a teaching not a long time ago about how do we deal with our differences. And I believe that was sort of, there were some things out of line in this church where we were judgmental towards other people, churches and ministries. And that God sort of just said, even though we're different, like, don't let that be the thing that defines you. It's not us and them. It's us. It's the body. It's all the family together. Amen? Why? Because we are ambassadors of the Anointed One who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through your lips. We tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to God. Do you think an ambassador has an identity crisis? Do you think they have a crisis about why they're there? Who are they presenting? What is their mission? What is their message? No, they don't. They are at rest. They don't even need to work in a sense. They are provided for. Okay? So we are ambassadors for Christ to the nations. So what we have is identity. It's also purpose and mission. And with that comes the message. So we don't need to be worried about what is the message. Jesus said, go into all the world and teach them everything I told you. The gospel. Amen? Where do we go? The nations. Listen to verse 21. For God made the only one who did not know sin. Who's that? Jesus. Okay, so all of us, by implication, had sin. So that's a great sonar and klein sonar. You can't have a big Christian and a small Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not. But then you operate in the renewal of the mind. Now it says, Who did not know sin became sin. Amen? Why? There's a word so that. We might become the righteousness of God. The one who knew no sin, Jesus laid it down and took our place so that we can pick it up and take His place. You see how the, the, the death, burial, resurrection and ascension is actually in here because He came down to the sinners and the word is beautiful, it says, and He condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. So what is Condemned. Sin has been condemned. What does condemnation mean? Unfit for use. If you condemn this building, then we can't meet here next week. So sin has been declared unfit for the intent and use of which it was designed, created, came to be. So is sin powerless to the new creation? Because now as Jesus dies and then sin is condemned in the flesh, now He is risen, which brings us victory over death. But it doesn't stay there. He is then ascended into heaven so that we become the righteousness of God where? In Him. So He's come down, died, and then He's taken us up with Him. And now we're seated at the right hand of the Father. And it didn't stop there. Because he says, I need to go to the Father so that I can pour out my Spirit. So now he pours out everything that made him holy. And it's freely available to all of us. You see, the Holy Spirit is really not spooky. It is the essence of the eternal life. 
Romans says it clearly that if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. I don't believe it's a next step. I believe it's the only step. What we call baptism in the Spirit, I believe it's just a stirring up. It's a, it's a, it's a living, it's like it's in me now, it, it comes out. But I need to be renewed in knowledge. So some people tell me, this is what you've got, this is how it works. This is how you pray in tongues. Now, you do it. Praying in tongues is awesome. I mean, Paul and I were joking as well. You see, we're in the same stage of life with little ones not sleeping. He said he was praying in tongues fervently one morning at 3 o'clock, say. And he was expecting this holy cloud and the sweet tender presence of, of the Holy Spirit to just fill the room and um, Benjamin would just sort of go off into, into la-la land. I'm sharing the story on his behalf because I've done the same. Amen? <laughs> but what he's realized is we pray in, the, in tongues to edify ourselves. So Benjamin didn't do anything less or more. But he was strengthened in his identity and in his um, faith. And in he was keeping himself in the love of God, which gave him more capacity to actually be a better father. So when we pray in tongues, it builds up ourselves. But because we're part of the family, it builds up the family. I prayed in tongues the first time alone in my room. Not when someone shunned over me or laid hands on me. And I went through all of that. And I was reading the word and I was, no one taught me this is where it is and this is how it works and this is for who it is and this is where it fits in. And I was reading all these scriptures. I was going to a different church. What I saw in church was tongues, but it scared me. <laughs> it didn't bring peace. It didn't carry for me even, I can't say it didn't carry the presence of God because it was technically spiritual. But I was alone in my room. I was still a student in, um, and I was living in Brooklyn, Pretoria. And I was alone in my room and I was praying about it. And I said, God... What is hier and who werkt dit, and is dit ooit van jou af, and ek is nie seker nie, and ek sien dit, and maar ek hoor dit, maar wat ek sien is nie wat ek wil heen nie, and I'm talking Afrikaans, because I still pray Afrikaans there. <laughs> and it was, just, I mean, I didn't spend all night in prayer, I didn't, it was just sort of a conversation. And I felt this voice in my ear, on the inside of my ear. <laughs> Say, listen to yourself. I was like, that's a weird word, and I was listening to myself, I was still talking, and I was no longer talking in Afrikaans. So what was inside of me came out of me. Out of the abundance of the, the, the heart, the mouth overflows. So the Spirit of God is not something that comes on the believer. It is something that's born in the believer. And now it flourishes and one of the fruits is praying in tongues. So we can't mystify and put it on a hierarchy and make it weird because then we're stealing from the essence of the fruit that God has for everyone. We need to treat it in love. But I need to know that I don't need to fast five days before I can preach in pray in tongues. I don't need to do everything right. I don't need to confess all my sins. I can just do it. Yesterday morning, on the way to, to the wedding, I prayed in tongues. I didn't pray in tongues all the way, and I wasn't... I listened to my own teachings yesterday. That was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> I was so encouraged. I was happy. I was like, this is good stuff. Holy Spirit, you're doing really good. <laughs> because you don't know what's in my notes, remember? So I know where he comes in. And it's a lot of the time, by the way. <laughs> I'm not saying it to blow my horn. I'm just saying I was super encouraged by listening to the last two teachings of the series. Some commentators state that this verse, verse 21, is perhaps the greatest verse in the New Testament to describe our salvation through the sinless Savior and His substitutionary death on the cross. A divine exchange took place at the cross. All of our sins were left there. Our guilt was removed and forever gone, and we walked away with all of God's righteousness and all of His presence and all of His Spirit and all completeness that is in Christ. What bliss is ours. Every believer today possesses the perfect and complete righteousness of Christ. We are seen by the Father as righteous as His Son. I can be at rest in that. I can live from that place. 
We can change the world from that place. We can sin less from that place. We can live more from that place. We can pray more from that place. We can heal more from that place. Amen? But we need to come to that place. We need to accept the way God sees us. We need to accept salvation. You cannot, if you're not saved, you don't have this. <laughs> Listen to my message from last week. You need to make double sure that you're saved. You need to labor, make sure, pay due diligence that you're in the rest. That you're in the born again reality. And when you are, now we wake up to what we have. Amen? Amen. And now we live as sons. Amen. Ambassadors. Princes. Royalty. But not royalty in like, look at me. No, royalty in like, Jesus, I'll serve you. I'll become the chief servant of all. Technically, that's the word prime minister. The primary biggest servant of all. That's what the intent was for leadership. But how has the world corrupted that? Now it's become everyone must serve. He's primarily served. No, he's the prime <laughs> servant. Even Jesus said, if you want to be great, wash their feet. Serve them. But you see, if you don't have the identity, oh, I see this in corporate all the time. I'm not there to build a career. I'm loved by God. I make some money there, but God's my provider. People play the ladder and step on each other. And You know, I said, someone said to me the other day, like, they were always worried about the fact that I'm not fully employed or temp- permanently employed. But everyone else has left. Everyone who signed a contract has left. So six and a half years in, my loyalty is much more valuable than a contract. But it's taken six and a half years. In the world, people don't give their career that, that space. When they say, oh, why is this not done and why is that not... I know all the reasons and it's, it's, it's often, sometimes it's me, often it's not. I don't need to tell them. I'm sorry, I'll do it. You know how that just, it kills the fight. <laughs> They're looking for a fight, but we're called to be peacemakers and then what you do is you go sort it out amen because I'm secure in my identity I know I'm the son of God if you read on in Colossians it says everything we do work as unto God not men so God knows the reason God knows it wasn't me God knows that I um, advised differently and that I knew that this would happen and now that it's happened I can say I told you so or I can sort it out what do you think is more valuable? Who would you want to employ? Do to others as you want them to do unto you. There's something in there that's godly. God said, Come. Come freely. Come drink. New wine, new milk, new water. Come freely. Do not pay. Do not bring your hardened cash here. Now, if we want to give into the offering because we're going to do awesome work in salaries, of course. But we're not doing it to impress God. We're doing it because God is already impressed with me. I can give and generously because I've got the love of God that is in me. And then money is actually the least thing that I can give. Because from there it grows to giving of yourself. Giving of your time, your talents. Maybe God calls you to give up your career. Wendy says yes, because she's done it. Bernard has done it. I've done it. I'm not poorer for it. I'm so glad that I do not conform to the pattern of this world. Which includes a religious mindset. Because if you look at all the religions of the world, there's one thing that they try to do is impress a higher being. Be right with the moon, the stars, God. Either through Buddha or meditation or Hare Krishna or through Eid or Ramadan or fasting. Let's be true for one moment to ourselves. The reality of Christianity should be very different. Otherwise, there's no life in it. Good news is it is. Amen. 
The reality of Christianity is you're accepted in God. You're forgiven. You are righteous. You are free to do whatever you want. But there's a guiding light that says if you do and walk this way, you'll find pasture. And you'll live a life that you've dreamed of. Exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. That's what God gives you. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.